what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.TV. My name is Alan. Across from me on the table here in the podcast recording studio is Chris. Hello, hey. podcast listeners. How are you today, Chris? You know, I'm doing, I'm doing well. Looking forward to talking about two pretty polar opposite movies. They're both war movies. They are. Just very different types of war. Yes. On the one hand, we're going to be reviewing Captain America Civil War. That's the third movie in the Captain America over whatever you want to call it. (laughs) And I think it's like the 28th or 50th film in the Marvel Universe. Something like that. So Captain America Civil War we will be discussing, followed by a review of the Hungarian film Son of Saul, which is also dealing with War World War II. Uh, a much different film. So we're going to have some very different types of conversations about these films. Son of Saul winning the best go- best foreign picture Oscar at this year's Academy Awards. That's true. We finally had a chance to catch up with it. And uh, we'll talk about that after we do the first review. After we finish those two reviews, we're going to uh, kind of pass along a little bit of movie news and discuss some things. Chris and I both have a couple items we want to bring up in that area. And then we will move on to our recommendations of the show. That's where we both will recommend something that uh, maybe something you've forgotten, a film you haven't caught up with in a while, maybe one that slid under the radar and you're not aware of it. But the whole goal is something that hopefully you can watch online at the home convenience of your own home without having to go out and pay $12 at the movie theater to go see. So that's our episode for today. The war episode. Are you ready to start, Chris? Let's do it. Let's jump right into our first review, which is Captain America Civil War. While a great many people see you as a hero, there are some who'd prefer the word vigilante. You've operated with unlimited power and no supervision. That's something the world can no longer tolerate. I know how much Bucky means to you. Stay out of this one. Please. You only make this worse. Sorry, Tommy. You know I wouldn't do this if I had any other choice. But he's my friend. So was I. Captain America Civil War. As I mentioned before, it's the third film in the Captain America series. We had Captain America the First Avenger. We had Captain America the Winter Soldier. Now Captain America Civil War. It is actually, I believe, the 13th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because that's that's... That's true. That's an actual number. 13 number, thirteen films in this series of films just over the last uh, eight, eight years, 10 years or so. Hmm. Captain America Civil War basically allows us to hop into a inter-hero conflict that is brewing within the Marvel Universe. Uh, we have a situation where all of the Avengers, which Captain America is, of course, part of the Avengers. He's been kind of the head of the Avengers for many years. And they're basically being caught on the carpet for collateral damages that can happen from their involvement in uh, saving people around the world. But what happens is the government's very concerned that because of them getting involved in the powers they have, there's actually more damage sometimes calls or people get hurt and they just feel like the heroes need to be kept in check, registered, monitored, 
better structured than how they are now. Right. Captain America politely disagrees with that situation <laughs> where Tony Stark politely disagrees. <laughs> right, he's Captain America. Tony Tony Stark is Iron Man is also very prominent in the film. He is on the side of the government. Feels like, yep, we do need to be kept in check. We do need some control. So herein lies the conflict. The two sides of our Marvel universe decide to splinter into having a uh, basically a, a war between the two sides. This is called a Captain America movie, but yet, you know, he's yes, probably the character that has the most screen time, but not by a huge percentage. You've got a lot of Iron Man You've got a lot of every other Marvel character they've introduced up to this point. Uh, and you even get some new characters thrown in, like uh, Black Panther, right. as well as a new Spider-Man. So, Chris, there's a lot going on in this movie. It's really even unfair to call it a Captain America movie. It's an Avengers movie, Civil War, but for whatever it's called. The same director as Anthony and Joe Russo, who did Captain America The Winter Soldier, which got really good reviews, and many people consider it to be one of the better films in the whole Marvel Universe so far. Right. Knowing that, that these guys are brought back and this is another movie that they've made and we've got a bigger cast. We've got a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff packed into two and a half hours. On the surface, when I describe this movie, it's not the kind of movie I would peg a Chris Fry as being a big fan of. (laughs) So let me just see how right I am with this. Was it too much trying to happen in this movie and did it work for you in the end or not? The mere fact that like one side of the Avengers wasn't the Union Army and the other side wasn't the Confederacy. Kind of threw me off. You just were lost from the minute whole one. Civil War thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I didn't know the background. Um, we've mentioned before on the show, you know, I'm more of a DC person than a Marvel person growing up. So I didn't know the whole background. That said, you know, given the setup you had and the setup that the movie gave in the kind of the opening minutes, you know, I kind of got on board with it and said, okay, you know, cool. I, you know, I feel like the movie worked for me. Is it anything more, does it have anything more to say than just being a big action movie and being a bunch of heroes running around using their powers? No, to me, no, not really. Um, but that's fine. Um, if you like superhero movies, I think you're going to like this one. You're not going to be disappointed. I will say positives. Well, okay. I'll yeah. focus on give the, me positives the positives first. Give me your positives. Um, <laughs> positives. I've, the Empire references that were in the movie. I'm a big Star Wars nerd. The Empire Strikes Back references. As we've mentioned before, mm-hmm. you know, I like Star Wars and I don't like Star Wars. But there were there was kind of an overt reference to it at one point in a kind of a battle scene. Spider Man makes a reference to it. It's kind of <laughs> yes. a strategy of, of his. Which that's that's funny. And that works. Um but there's also kind of this other theme if you think about where the movie falls as far as in the Star Wars franchise, you know, you had the first movie, A New Hope. Second movie was Empire Strikes Back, kind of a downer. What well, ended at a point where the heroes were all kind of split up right. and they were kind of feeling a little hopeless in a few areas. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Han Solo had gotten frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, so Luke, you know, lost his hand or whatever. So, you know, there's, there's stuff going on. Um, so that has some interesting parallels without giving anything away about Civil War. I guess I just gave away Empire Strikes Back if you haven't seen that. Sorry. <laughs> we did just um, spoil Empire Strikes Back for you. We apologize. Right. So actually, and there's also another, without giving anything away, uh, I'll try not to do it. There are daddy issues in Empire Strikes Back. I won't say what oh, in right. case you haven't seen that Good for point. some reason. Good point. And there's some daddy issues for Civil War as well as far as parents and some unresolved things. So – there was more there than in a typical superhero movie. So, yeah, going in, you're right. You describe this movie as not one I would generally care about, tell mm-hmm. people they should rush out and go see. That being said, 
not that there was a lot to chew on, but it was they tried harder with the story. There was more stuff there than just a simple, here's a bad guy. Oh, we got to fight the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. in the end, we beat the bad guy. So there was more there than I would have thought there would have been. So that was okay. kind of a pleasant surprise for me. Well, you know, when this when this film was announced and they kept talking about all the new, all the characters they were going to be packing into this thing, it really concerned me because you know how I am about overstuffing Yes. Movies with characters. Yes. The trend in superhero films to add in more than one villain, and you it's got multiple the villains. Original Spider-Man. Oh, absolutely. Thing, like, yeah. Wire or whatever. I mean, it's killed just about every and superhero franchise to some degree. It, it's it killed, killed the, the second, Batman, and it killed the second Spider-Man too, because the first one was just the lizard, yes. and the second one he had the Electric Man. All like, and I think it killed. More. I mean, there's several things that killed the original Tim Burton Batman sequence of four films but the latter two films were all about let's add more villains more characters more people and it just it, it kind of implodes on its own weight gotcha. so that's always been a big concern of mine when i see that they're adding more people and more characters so this one i was very concerned about going in i will say on a positive i think considering everything that was going on in this movie the movie never felt i never felt like i got beat over the head with action or too much stuff going on even the big set piece scene, like about two thirds of the way through the movie that takes place at an airport, mm-hmm. the big fight scene, which have, is not the I ending. Have a huge problem with it. Okay. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment, but I will say the way it was shot and the way it was put together, I thought was really good because I'm not someone who can watch a big battle scene where there's just so much going on CGI and I have a hard time following the action. I thought the action was very easy to follow considering the number of people that were involved in it. So I think from a directing standpoint, I think they took all these characters and they did it in a way where I never felt overwhelmed. I never felt like everybody was getting just such short shift. Everybody had their moment. Everybody had some scenes. Everybody had something good to grab a hold of. And I think that's a real feat to not only the writing, but the directing of this is to put that much in there and make it work. Yeah, the the writing kind of I guess that's what I'm complimenting in the beginning there talking about how there was more to the movie than I thought there was going to be. The directing, keeping things separate, keeping the movie moving along mm-hmm. the path. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Where my big fault lies. Okay. And I don't fault the director, I don't fault the story. I guess I fault the fact that this is a franchise and maybe the studio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I hate the vision. I hate him. <laughs> I, I just dislike okay. him. Okay. This Ultron, is the, yeah, this is the character that was introduced in the last in Avengers movie. Ultron. Paul Bettany is playing Paul him. Yeah. Nothing wrong with the actor. You know, that's so you, the actor. Is nothing against Paul capable. Bettany. No, you just Paul, hate the vision. We're still friends. Don't, don't run away. I okay. still like you. You're gotcha. still a cool guy. It just, he, that character could not be more uninteresting to me. Okay. Anytime I saw him come on screen, I was like, okay, I can take a nap for like five minutes. Like he just, doesn't matter to me. Boring wow. has no kind of. De- I mean, he's a computer, so I guess he's not supposed to have a lot of depth. I guess you know because he's just he kind of says, you know, he's not really sure how to handle humans or make a stupid Russian stew or whatever. Like whatever, just <laughs> shut up, get off screen, go on to something else. You know, and it. I, I just I really didn't like him, and where it all kind of came to a head for me actually. And I usually when we review movies. I see them once because, you know, Alan and I lead busy lives. I just so happened to see this movie twice. Oh, you did? Um, yeah. Wow. And the first time I saw it, I liked it. He irritated me, but kind of let it go. Um, 
second time I saw the movie, he graded on me even more so. Wow. And where it all, I kind of came to it like, yeah, he was irritating. I didn't feel like he was really advancing anything. But where it really annoyed me after I was hyper aware of how much the guy like graded on me was during the airport. like The big fight scene. The big fight scene. And basically because he doesn't do anything. He seems mm-hmm. to be the most powerful dude around. Doesn't really do anything until the very tail end of that. And it's like, oh, yep, there he is. But like other than that, he and they even show him at some points, and he's just like hovering in the sky, just like hanging out, like do do do. Like he didn't care to get involved well, you, or like. You know the problem with the vision, and this is just a problem they've got character? with the character. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, and I guess See, I go wisely, into this with a little bit more of an advantage because wisely, I will say, yeah, I'll mm-hmm. let you finish, but wisely. And they make they, it's totally cool how they did it too. They reference Thor's not there, Hulk's not there. Yep. Kudos to the movie because you know, like they're the kind of guys that if they were there, they could kind of settle this war by just beating everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's a little dose machina with with Vision as well. I think, and that he is a powerful character. And I think they run into a problem where they want to include him, but yet if you include him, he could wipe everybody out really, really quickly. And I, just I, like Hulk and Thor could as well. So, and that was what was you know, frustrating to me is I really realized that the first time I kind of realized that, but I had I didn't know where the movie was going, so I couldn't kind of watch for him. Second time through, I could watch for him. Didn't think it held up at all. Hmm. And yeah, I just, so I, just wish, I wish they would have. I wish they would have been kind of had them going to a party with Hulk and Thor, wherever those guys were hanging out. <laughs> Vision should have gone and like watched the Super Bowl with them or whatever. Like go hang out with them because it just hmm. didn't, that's interesting. It just didn't I didn't work. really pay that much attention to them honestly <laughs> in the film, and I guess maybe on a second viewing I would. And I'm a little bit at a different advantage, I guess, and because I'm curious where they're going with the character because. And again, I'm not. I'm not yeah, gonna they could spoil. do a, spin, they could do a spin-off I'm not going to spoil much Vision. here, but he does have some form of a relationship with the Scarlet Witch in the comics. And I know they're hinting at it, hinting at it. How about taking a baseball bat? And like, that's why. Okay. There again, I have a long history in this show of like, you know, I don't go see romances. I don't go, you know, English patient. I hated that movie, you know, far from that and crowd. We reviewed here on the show, just, you know, stuff like that, you know, just not my, not my bag. Mm -hmm. So yeah, him like, you know, making little doe eyes at Scarlet Witch. I'm just like, oh, man. Like, just fingernails on a chalkboard, record wow. needle ripping across a record. I just, like, I didn't get that quite uh, bad vibe. I mean, it was, the scenes were all so short, I felt like that, you know, even if one scene annoyed me, it would be gone in a couple minutes. So. Maybe they were short, but they felt like 15-minute yeah. short films to me. So <laughs> you, you hate the vision. I get I do. it. I hate or it. Do you have any other issues with the film that you felt like uh, impacted your viewing at all? You know, no, maybe a little long. Okay. Um, which, you know, they were trying to cram a lot of like story in mm-hmm. there. But other than that, no, the, the vision and then kind of what that meant in the fact that they were trying to maybe start a sub movie that vision can have his own movie down the road. It, it's like, they've already got a good thing. And instead of just letting it, letting it happen, they keep trying to add other stuff in so they can guarantee the life of the franchise or something. Well, That's kind of what I saw the vision doing. And he, it just it just annoyed me. Well, here here I I I guess I've never actually said how I feel about this film. I did really like this film. Okay, I, I enjoyed it. I was very concerned about it being overloaded and stuffed, and I came out pleasantly surprised that it didn't feel that way at the end of the day. Uh, my my main question or, or criticism with it is more of a double edged sword. I am a Spider Man fanatic. 
I love Spider Man. I'm saying in general. In general. Right. Okay, growing up, that was gotcha. my that was my hero. Gotcha. I've had concerns about both iterations of the character in film so far. I did not like Tobey Maguire. And you even Garfield starting out, right? Or you were, you know, I liked the first Garfield okay. movie. I thought he was really good. It's right. just the writing in that movie. And then especially in the second one was not very good. Right. The second one was horrible, oh. <laughs> but I liked Andrew Garfield right. as Spider-Man, I guess. I never liked Tobey Maguire in there, although I liked Sam Raimi's direction a whole lot better in the first two films. So gotcha. it's been a mixed bag. I've never had that perfect, wow, this is it. This is the Spider-Man character or movie that I wanted. Okay. I see it in this kid that's in the new movie. Okay. Here's my issue with it. I felt like it was just shoehorned into this movie as just a setup for a future movie. And although I loved his appearance in the movie and I liked the scenes he was in, I do walk away wondering, did we really need it? You know, could we have not gotten off okay. to a fresh start with him and been okay? So I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And for somebody who's not the biggest Spider-Man fan and has seen, you know, the Tobey Maguire, you know, run and has also seen the Garfield run. I have to say, knowing where this, the kid is in high school, we don't know. Yes. Do we know what year he's in high school for no. this version of Spider-Man? No. I think he's supposed he's to be school. like 15 or 16. Okay. So on the younger end. Yes. Like, okay. I have to say. You know, I'd heard the news. You'd, we'd mentioned news out of here that Spider-Man was going to be rebooted again. Like they were kicking out Andrew Garfield because the other movie was just horrible. And they're like, okay, we're going to redo it. So knowing that they were going to redo it and knowing they were going to go for a younger version, which I think you mentioned on the show too, the way they handled that in this movie, it was kind of like, I can see how you could say it was shoehorned in. But for me, it was like, we're going to do another Spider-Man movie because those do make money. Mm -hmm. But instead of making another Spider-Man movie where we're going to give you the origin story all over again, which they're not, which is awesome. Yes. No, I agree. They just basically kind of say, yep, here's Spider-Man and it's a different dude. So when we make the Spider-Man movie that we're going to make, don't be surprised when it just goes right into like a story. And I have no qualms with the way they handled it. It's so just, I thought it was kind of cool. It was cool. But again, I just wondered, well, could not have those same scenes that we saw in this movie not been the way another new Spider-Man movie started? Okay. In other words, Iron Man, oh, Iron oh. Man finds him. He's like, he's been out there doing web slinging activities. Iron Man finds him. is like, Hey, hey kid, I see you need to like, we need to get you so on board. So we don't get an stuff. origin story, but if you just kind of package those scenes yes. that we had in this movie, it just felt like, okay. Uh, and let me, let me get really nitpicky. Okay. So here we are. Do you recall me, can... you've seen this movie twice? So you should be able to attest to this. Yeah. Tony Stark was given like a 36 hour deadline by <laughs> Thunderbolt Ross guy. Right. Um, to, I just know him as William to Hunt, bring yeah. in Captain America. Right. Okay. Right. 36 hours. In that 36 hour time, he decided to go visit Peter Parker. Right. Right. And he's chatting up Aunt May. Right. And he talks to the guy who's who, to Peter Parker. Right. And lo and behold, within a half a day, the kid's got a new costume made by Iron Man. Tell me how that happened. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's why I felt like, you know, everything has been just kind of crammed in. It's like, ooh, this is a good opportunity. We're going to have heroes fighting each other. Let's bring in another hero and do that. At least the Black Panther introduction had something to do with the storyline. Well, then where does he get the suit? I don't He's know. already had it. 
He's had it for years. Black Panther is always like he he is a hero back in Even his country. He said that he hadn't been Black Panther until his dad died. But I think somebody there's always been he he made a reference. There's always somebody playing that role. I see. So th- that I bought. Okay. And his his storyline was a lot more integral to the main storyline. Spider Man okay. was Agreed. not. So that's why it's a double edged sword. I loved the character. I love the way they're presenting him. I like the kid already that's playing him. Well, I just felt like it was one of those where it's just all kind of squeezed in just to make it work in this movie well okay even though it didn't bother me even on the second viewing probably because with the second viewing my daughter was watching it and was like really excited about it yeah <laughs> um she because she loves spider-man so okay, to have cool. her like you know she was really excited. i knew she was he a was, good girl so she, yeah. was, <laughs> she was really excited that he was younger too because yeah. he was like going into high school because that's going to be about her age and so she just thought that was and Really liked kind of the humor that mm-hmm. came along with the Spider-Man character, yeah. which I think she may have felt was kind of missing in some of the other ones. Maybe. It has been, especially um, the Tobey Maguire one. I did not feel like he was funny at all as Spider-Man. Right. And Andrew Garfield was better, better, but then he also played Peter Parker as a lot more of a hip, cool guy. Right. It's like, he's not a hip, cool guy. He's kind of a dork. He's kind of a nerd. <laughs> you know, that's the way you play him. So right. anyway. So I, yeah. I, I could see I could see where you're shoe, uh, shoehorning in Spider-Man. I didn't feel that way, but... I could, I could see. What I mean, again, I'm not complaining about it. As, I don't think it ruined the film at all. It's just one of those things where it's like, oh, you know, is that 10 minutes or 12 minutes of screen time that could have been used to better affect, flesh out some of the other parts of the film? Well, and something you touched on briefly, we're not going to, there again, this movie's only been out for like two weeks, so we're not going to try to spoil the movie for you, but how Black Panther's, like his main motive in this movie and how that kind of weaves with somebody else's motives and what comes to be the end of the movie is kind of a surprise. Very interesting how that was. Well, and let's, let's counter that to the, the movie we reviewed a f- uh, maybe a month ago, uh, uh, Batman versus Superman. I knew we were going to come around. To yeah. That. Well, I mean, you kind of have to, when you've got two big blockbuster movies that it's are all true. about heroes fighting, fighting each other, each other. and where Marvel's doing this, where they're at their peak of their success, they are rising star. Batman Superman's just trying to get something started, you know, right. from a popularity standpoint. Right. I thought it was funny that both films had such a parent theme to the relationship of the characters. True. And actually a pivotal point in both films is how they have some form of connection True. with parents. True. I will just say right away, Civil War handled this so much better. <laughs> as much is- as I thought the Batman was versus Superman was a... I did not think it was a great film, but I thought it was a lot better than critics were giving it credit for. It was True. more of a dumb popcorn movie. I don't see Civil War as a dumb popcorn movie. There was actually something a little bit more brainy going on. I, I would agree, and I think it comes down to the writing and what they were trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Batman versus Superman, you see this setup and what they're kind of saying about cities being destroyed, which is also a theme which of both movies. was interesting, yeah. But yet yeah, kind of after the initial setup, comes in the first 20 minutes or so, then it just kind of runs its The rest of the movie was just, just really not written very well. The battle at the end of that was very irritating with the big glob. <laughs> Again, I, I think it was, just, it was handled better than a lot of CGI big fights that I've seen in other superhero movies, but this one was well. The thing I really liked about Civil War is how did the movie, the last fight scene, and we won't give the details of it, but where did it take place and how did it end? It was a small fight. Yes. It's like, Two or three people just punching each other. And it's like, when have we seen a big superhero blockbuster movie end 
without this giant CGI spectacle of buildings and explosions. Right. It was kind of nice to just see two guys like fighting like in a castle or something, you know? So right. it was, it was cool. So I, I, I would agree. Um, I think mentioning another positive of the film, which superhero movies, you know, it's, it's funny. They, especially ones that have a serious tone mm-hmm. because in general, you know, I like superhero movies, even though there are a bunch of guys running around in tights. It's hard to make those serious. But, you know, Batman versus Superman did. And maybe too serious for some people's taste because they said it needed a little bit more funny stuff. And it was just so dark. It wasn't fun. You and I yeah. kind of disagreed with that. But we said, mm. you know, whatever. Civil War could have very easily gone down the same path. I mean, you've got superheroes fighting against each other because they disagree about the way they're handling things and lots of people are getting killed in the process. And so they you know, mm-hmm. could have gone down a very dark road as well and been depressing. But they managed to not do that. And sometimes, you know, one-liners or humor to me can be a little irritating because I, I feel like they're doing that to try to reach a mass audience. Yeah, and they're sure. doing it too much and it doesn't mm-hmm. work. But to... <laughs> To me, the funniest stuff, you know, Spider-Man was fine, and then some of the things Iron Man says are fine. But the funniest stuff, for me, came from the most unexpected of places. And they didn't just do it once, which would have been cool, but they Mm -hmm. actually had it happen twice. And it was interactions between Falcon, that's his name, right? Yep. And uh, And, uh, Bucky. (laughs) Winter Soldier, Bucky guy. I agree. Um, They, they It almost turned them in, like, jealous friends of steve rogers Absolutely. like we're both friends but we're yeah con- we don't like each other because right. who's the better friend of his it's like we're both sidekicks of captain america but we're irritating one another because we're both trying to be his side that's captain right america's sidekick it was so kind of funny there was a scene in like a car where they kind of <laughs> and it wasn't like a long it was literally like two lines one of them yeah. had a line and one of them responded and that was it and then same thing at the airport which yeah. I had problems with that because of the vision part of it but they're kind of working together in that and one of them says a line, and one of them responds, and that's it. But those yeah. were two of my favorite moments in the entire movie, which for me to come away from a superhero movie mm-hmm. or a movie and say, like, oh, those two funny moments when it's not meant to be a comedy, yeah. you know, like, I those kind of moments, that kind of cleverness, maybe a little bit of genius, as much as I hate to say it because I'm more of a Warner Brothers person or more of a DC person than uh, Disney Marvel or whatever. It just didn't exist didn't have in it. Batman versus Superman. Well, you know, the Marvel films in general, I think, have done a really good job of, of just hitting that right tone and humor. And I think it started with Joss Whedon. I think he really oh. set the tone. Okay. Because look at even, like, the first Avengers movie. There were, like, three or four moments that are just, to me, bust out laughing. Like, so mm-hmm. unexpected and simple, just really short little moments, character okay. moments. You know, Hulk and Thor standing next to each other, and Hulk's just just always mad and just punches Thor like for no reason just hits him and I mean everybody in the audience is just you just it, you didn't expect it it was just there's a little quick little character moments and I think they're carrying that tradition on with these films as well again it's those little quick touches that let you know these guys are human you know they're they have personalities they sure. have uh, quirks about them as well not just being superheroes so how do uh, you feel mm-hmm. about where the franchise may be going I mean, I think I, I'm fine with it because it is kind of splintered some groups and, you know, some people are put in some different situations. Um, 
I expected the movie to maybe shake things up a little bit more than it did because I got a feeling probably the next Avengers movie, everybody's back together again. Is the next one supposedly on the slate Infinity War? Is that the name of it? Okay. You know everybody's going to be back together buddies at that point. Okay. Um, So I'm fine. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with where they're going on stuff. I think the quality is staying pretty consistent. I, I like the Winter Soldier. I like this one a little bit more than Winter Soldier. I still like the original Captain America. That's still my favorite Marvel movie of all of them so far. Really? That's still my favorite. I just felt like that really hit the right tone, especially with the the time period that it was trying to set in. Um, hmm. All think, the rest of the films are kind of hit or miss for me. You know, I mean, I'm, I think of the, I guess of the Avengers line of movies, which I guess most of the Marvel movies are in that line. They are. Yeah. Then, yeah, maybe the original Captain America would be my favorite. Outside of that, though, Guardians of the Galaxy. Would be oh my yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy is is probably my very close second movie okay. favorite of all the Marvel movies altogether. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that one just just really worked. But it's also the one that's the most standalone of all of them. I mean, there's no integration hardly at all with any of the films we're seeing now. So I think they're doing a great job with this whole series. I mean, if you had told me that 13 movies they would be doing over a, whatever, eight, nine-year period, and that all of them would be of generally decent quality. The Thor movies are the only ones I'm just like, I just didn't enjoy, but I never enjoyed Thor as a character anyway. So Hmm. I just thought they were boring. Of which we have a third one coming. Yeah, we do. But you know, if that's the worst of the movies, that's pretty good. I mean, because those are at least decent films. And uh, I think they've done, they've picked the right directors. They picked the right people to write these things. It's just working. And that's why I guess I'm glad Batman versus Superman came out before this one. Because I think if it had been the other way around, we would have gone to see Batman vs. Superman and be like, oh, that was really bad. Now, having seen it first, we're like, eh, it wasn't that bad. It had some moments to it. And now you see this, I'm like, well, but yeah, but this is the way you do it. You know, this is the way you make it work. So, And I, I can't help, which I'm assuming we'll probably review it on the show because um, it's a big movie. And we reviewed the other ones. X-Men Apocalypse. I'm I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to judge that fairly because we've just had you know we've we've had two really big superhero movies. It's like everybody. Yeah. Granted, most summers you do get one from each camp, but this this summer we get the Marvel camp, we get the DC camp, and then we get the Fox doing Marvel camp yeah. with X Men. It's like we get all three, and it's just oh man. I've got a bad feeling about that film. I mean, just everything I've seen and read, it it looks like the over bloated film that I was worried Civil War was going to be. Got you. The overblown CGI, way too many characters, that looks to be X-Men Apocalypse right now. So I, I hope I'm wrong. I really like Days of Future Past. I thought Days of Future Past was was pretty good. Um, good. You know, I think in general, still X-Men First Class, I think, was the best X-Men film they've made. Okay. Um, and again, maybe it's just the time period. Maybe I just like the movies that take place where they go for more of a nostalgia feel with the, with the time period. But, um, sure. Anyway, it's, it's still a very interesting time for superhero movies. I'm happy to say, I don't think civil war breaks the trend and makes it all of a sudden to where we're now like dreading the next one. <laughs> it keeps the energy and momentum going, right? It doesn't dramatically excel it in any way. It's just, it keeps the quality level kind of where it is on the needle. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I'm just hoping that there's not going to be a Vision standalone movie. That's that's my thing. <laughs> oh, I'm going to make sure Chris gets to review that one. First opening day, the That'll Vision solo punishment. movie. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, that is Civil War, Captain America Civil War. i got to remember the first part of the movie title. Right. And, of course, that is still out in 
theaters right now still making gangbuster business. Uh, so we were both saying, yeah, it's a good movie, especially if you do like superhero movies. Yes, this is a very good one. If you don't like superhero movies, it's still a pretty good action movie. We're checking out more than likely. All right. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the second review of our film for review. And that is the uh, Hungarian film, Son of Saul. We'll be right back. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at The Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.tv. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. You just heard in the first part of the show, we had our review of Captain America Civil War. Uh, both of us giving a positive review of that particular superhero installment. Now we're going to change gears a little bit for our second review as we discuss the uh, winner of the Best Foreign Picture Award at this year's Academy Awards. The film is the Hungarian film Son of Saul. With Son of Saul, we are focusing in World War II, specifically Auschwitz in 1944. A prisoner who's working at the camp is forced to basically be the person who helps burn the bodies of the people that are killed in a gas chamber. And while he's working there, in the early moments of the film, he takes it upon himself to try to get a proper burial for a boy that he sees come in the camp who's you know, dead. Um, Alan, we've, I think we've reviewed, I think we've reviewed other World War II films on the show. Can't come to mind of any of them right offhand, but mm-hmm. we've definitely talked about them. And one of my things that I often say is I feel like I've seen, you know, they, World War II is a very popular topic to it's make. It's been covered about. by a lot of films and sure. TV shows and everything else. Um, with this like, actually, we talked about that with Phoenix, actually, because that oh, kind of yeah. takes place. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, True. the woman in that. Um, we reviewed that previously on the show. So with Son of Saul, do you feel like you got a new perspective or something new out of a kind of an area of film that a lot of films have been made about? Sometimes mm-hmm. you can get to feel that there may be a little re- bit repetitive or treading very familiar territory. Mm-hmm. What was your take on this film as far as showing something different? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it hit that different mark for me. Um, not only from a technical standpoint, which we can talk about in a little bit, but also just from the story it's telling, okay. you know, we are, we are following a, a character. We're following a group of characters, but one character in particular, I mean, we never leave his side as a camera and uh, he is basically a worker for a short period of time, he's a prisoner, but he's being put to work. And right. there's a whole subculture of people that are in this position where they are working. They are, they are cleaning out the clothes after people are escorted into a gas chamber. They are the ones that are doing all the other work around the camp, 
but they know their time is limited. They know at some point soon their name's going to get called and they're going to be put in with the rest of the regular prisoners. It's not like they are now going to get to live. They know that at most maybe they have a month or something like that. That's right. They know. So to me, that was fascinating because I did not know enough about that subculture within these concentration camps. So right away, the film did take a slightly different angle from a storyline that I I really appreciated seeing. You know, the film to me, is more the technical achievement. I have a hard time saying I enjoyed this film because you can't enjoy it. It's a grueling film to to, to watch. It's a really horrific time in history. Mm -hmm. It's a really horrific film type subject matter to sit through. But but I think the technical choices they made in this film are really what makes it stand out for me. Okay. Um, You know, you've got it shot in a almost a square frame instead of a widescreen format. So um, that may not sound like it would have much of an impact as you're watching it, but it actually does because everything feels even more claustrophobic when they're, when the, when the main character's turning and looking, your field of vision is so much more limited where normally you get a bigger scope of what's around you with this film. You definitely just get a more of a focus of what's right in front of you. And that's it. And that can be really jarring, especially in some of the more crowded chaotic scenes. Um, the fact that the camera never really leaves this main character's field of view. Right. The camera is either pointing at this main character or seeing what this main character is seeing. And that's about it. You never venture away from him. So I think they did a really great job of kind of putting you as close to in his shoes as you could. And then they are also doing something with a, a very narrow field of focus. So a lot of scenes, the, the images, the people far away are very out of focus. So you're only really clearly seeing what's what you're what you're focusing on. All those choices together, I, I know very conscious decisions, but right made this story or made this film to watch a, a even more heightened experience for me. Uh, again, it's not a film I enjoy. I have some questions. I have some things that didn't work as well for me, but I will say overall, I think the experience was pretty unique and very interesting to watch. What's your what's your thoughts? My my thoughts are very similar. Um, it, to me knowing that it was about the subject matter, I was wondering what was going to make it more of a unique film because, you know, it won the Oscar for it. What was going to set this apart from other, for example, a movie that covers similar ground like Schindler's List. Yeah, sure. And, you know, it talks about concentration camps and that whole, the struggle to survive. And But that being said, you couldn't have a more different movie mm-hmm. about that period in history than this movie. Both yeah. movies good and they're different in different ways. Uh, with Son of Saul, I think, like you say, what made it stand apart was kind of the technical aspects, the depth of field, the cinematography, um, the sound design mm-hmm. was also really fascinating in that you know you would hear whispers, people whispering back and forth, talking in several different languages. You know, you'd hear you wouldn't hear English, but you would hear like German, then you would hear another language that I don't have no idea what it was, but you know, you would hear different languages going on and. It all added to the sense of confusion, mm-hmm. but also because of, like you mentioned, that narrow frame that was more of a square than the rectangle that's usually being shown to you and the depth of field and the out-of-focus stuff of claustrophobia because there's just so many people gave you the feeling of being packed in a, packed in a tight room with all this different stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And that, too, you know, the subject matter is really dark, but just that sense of, like, always being around crowds and crowds of people just had a way of really wearing you down and giving mm-hmm. you that sense of what it could have been like in a concentration. Well, I mean, and the movie effect. was a constant source of motion too. Yeah. the lead character was always moving, always being pushed into another area. 
uh, very little time for contemplation. And I think that just added to the whole thing. So by the end of the film, you really just feel exhausted, Yes, you know? And, um, if that was the intention of the filmmakers is to make you feel that way at the end, it absolutely succeeded. So, uh, it was a one timer for me. I came in the second night and watched just the last 10 or 15 minutes of it. And even just that last 10 or 15 reminded me how grueling that film was to, to, to sit through the full time. Well, and I, I would kind of agree. It's, it's a one timer for me as well. Unfortunately, listeners, if you're listening to this, um, you may not have a chance to experience it in the theater. Yeah. Um, which I think shame. is a big shame. I agree. I would encourage people to see this film. I think it is an important film. It's very brutal. Not, not a family film by any means. Has, you know, graphic. There's nudity in there, but there's just upsetting It's just images. upsetting. It's, it's just yeah. very upsetting. It is yeah. a concentration camp. Um, but the way it's done and the experience is is very unique. And mm-hmm. I think seeing it in a theater and seeing it up on the big screen and having that sound brought to you by the different speakers and stuff, just not going to get the same experience I agree. at your home on a TV or definitely not on a laptop screen oh, or no. an iPhone screen. So the shame of it is if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the film in a theater, um, you know, still probably worth seeking out because it is a good film. But I, if you, by any means, if you can see it, on yeah. a screen, definitely seek it. No, out. I completely agree. I think that adds a lot to the experience there. Um, I, I just had a curiosity the, the lead character, the lead, the lead actor in this film, Saul, Saul played by, uh, Geza Roig, Roig. Sure. And, um, uh, not familiar with him as an actor. I couldn't tell you anything else he's been in, but of course he's in, his face is on the screen 50, 60% of the time. Sure. Um, and you're with him hundred percent of the time. Right. How did you feel like it, you know, he, he handled that role with that much exposure and so much based on his, not his words. He didn't say a whole lot. It no, was it facial expressions on right. just about everything else. So no, I, I thought he was, I thought he did a really good job. Um, and just, you feel like you could, even though his face would, I guess sometimes be blank, probably because he had been worn down by so mm-hmm. much gruesome subject matter or just, you know, having to deal with all this pain and suffering and dying and death all around him. But yet you still felt like you could see little minor, you feel like you could see the waves of it kind of hit him, mm-hmm. you know, and that to have that balance between I'm kind of numb to it, but yet I'm not like Mm -hmm. that. I thought they did a good job or he did a good job of kind of portraying that. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. Uh, I had somebody after one of the films asked me and say, well, you know, it just seemed like he had a blank expression on his face all the time. I'm like, well, think about what he's been through. Think about what this character has been through. And would you have any other expression after so many, a month or so or or whatever he's dealt dealt with seeing this death and destruction around you every single day? Um, you got to be kind of numb to it, but yet I, I think he did so much with his eyes and even the pursing of his lips at times. And just, mm-hmm. you can tell he's just contemplating and figuring things out and trying to figure out how to wrestle and deal with all the emotions that's kind of bottled up in him now. So, uh, I thought it was a really good film, very well made, interesting take on the whole subject matter, uh, a tough one to watch, but I do encourage people who really want to see a film done in a little more of an inventive way. This is a good, good one to check out. Sure. I, something that I wonder if you noticed it or if it bothered you. Not, it's not a negative of the film. Mm-hmm. But the opening, they kind of have a little quick shot. Then they kind of give you the definition of kind of this guy's job, mm-hmm. you know, text on screen. Yeah. And they cut back to, 
you know, images again and you see the guy, and like you say, you're kind of stuck with him and you're, you know, he's usually in the frame and you follow him directly. When they cut back to him, you start following him. I thought that the movie was almost going to be a single or the illusion of kind of through Birdman mm-hmm. or something like that. A single the take. illusion of a single take for the rest of it, yeah. which I was like, oh man, that's going to make this even more exhausting and even yeah. more grueling. And they, I felt like they're going to have to watch again, which I have no desire to do because I don't think I could go through the experience. But it felt like for a while there, it was a single take. And it were or not a single take, but they kind of gave the illusion of him just walking to different, always mm-hmm. in motion, going yeah. to different places, but never stopping. And like, I felt like it was that way for 15 or 20 minutes. And then at one point, he gets on a truck and it kind of pans up to the sky and you see trees. Mm. And then from after that, I felt like it was like segmented, segmented. It had so some. I don't know if maybe they were yeah. going to do that. And then they were like, eh, we can't really. I think it had some moments where they wanted to give you that impression. I think you had that at the beginning and you also had it at the end. I think the True. whole rebellion okay. scene. Yeah was shot either if it wasn't one take it was shot to look like a one single take mm. with them escaping and leaving and the battle that was going on there so right. i think they had some moments where they wanted to give you that impression but they had no desire to making this just two hours of, in the life of they i mean the whole thing spanned i think about a day and a half day and a half yeah, yeah. that's kind of what i figured from it so yeah i think they definitely wanted you to have that kind of experience of following along almost like a first person real time thing but yet they knew the story they needed to tell was Longer than just two hours. So, right. um, sure. so they made some creative cuts and you got the idea of time passing from here to there. Um, yeah, just really, really interesting film. Very interesting. So, um, did you have any, you know, both of us seem to be fairly positive on it. Yeah. Did you have any kind of misgivings for the film? Well, and I even hate giving this in a, as a criticism. I did have a hard time following exactly what was going on at different points in the story. Right. And I don't, I mean, Maybe if I knew more of the history of this type of this type of the culture that was going on at the concentration camps and sure. how that was working, maybe I would follow it a little bit better. I, I found myself wrestling with what was going on mm-hmm. at several points. By the end of the film, it didn't matter. Sure. Okay, that, that's the thing is that some of these I need to they're they're going to hear and they're going to go talk to this person to do this and this is going to lead to this. At the end of the day, it didn't matter. Okay, the story was much bigger than just what he's having to do and the people he's having to talk to and what he's trying to find or accomplish. But it did, it did make it hard to kind of follow along and really understand what was happening in some points. I think it's probably partly being a foreign film. Those are always sometimes a little bit of a language barrier. It's hard to follow along. True. It is a, a subculture of people living in a concentration camp that we're not directly familiar with. Mm-hmm. And I think too, it's just, there was just a lot of little nuances of things that it would have been nice to get a little more background information on what was going on. But I don't know how you would have woven that in the story without it just kind of beating you over the head with it. So, well, I think it without yeah it without giving away things. Although I don't know that we really can, yeah. but there was you know the movie is called Son of Saul, mm-hmm. and who this boy is, a relationship that may or may not be there. Who you know, and then his why does he pick this one boy? And certain things you could be important, but they're they're not. I think. More all that I would guess the filmmaker just wants you to have the experience of like seeing or trying to experience like what life was like, what mm. this chaos was like. And if you, if I'd have known going in, like, oh yeah, there's not really a story. It's just all about the madness mm. and the horror that is this situation. And knowing that I wasn't really going to get a, a, a more story of a through line or yeah. a story, I think that would have 
allowed me not to not to worry about or not try to figure stuff out. No, you're right. And I think the fact that they kind of set up and pretty early on the film what the plot line was going to be. Right. And then you found yourself worrying more about what he's trying to do to follow that story than paying when really or, you yeah. shouldn't, you right. could have just checked out and just said, I'm not going to worry about it. Right. Cause I found myself when he went to go visit certain camps or certain people, I'm like, okay, so what is he doing here? Right. And why? And how is he getting here? Did he yeah. know something? Or what, should we know something that we don't He's know? getting something from this woman and they seem to have a, some sort of relationship. Right. What is that relationship? And should I know more about this? At the end of the day, again, it didn't matter, but it's just, I think because there was actually a somewhat of a mission for him, you found yourself wanting to know more about how he was accomplishing that mission. And when we felt left out, it was a little frustrating. So, um, again, I, I hate saying that even as a criticism, because I know ultimately the filmmakers didn't really care sure. about us following the storyline. They, they wanted us to get through the experience. I mean, there again, who knows you're putting, I'm putting words in the filmmaker's mouth, but Maybe that was done on purpose is to make yeah. it confusing because, you know, life there was probably very confusing, yeah. very upsetting. It could so have been. It was kind of like this is just kind of a crazy mixed up situation. We want it to be that way. Yeah, so, it very well could be. Yes. Well, that's Son of Saul. That, uh, as Chris alluded to, it's probably going to be difficult to find in a movie theater, unfortunately. I know it's going to be online. If it's not already online now, it will be soon. But again, it's a tough one to watch and really get the full effect of the film by watching it at home. Definitely not on a phone or a laptop. Right. If you at least have a, maybe a good home theater system with some good surround sound, you might get some of the same. Headphones, maybe. Yeah, maybe headphones would be the way to do it. It really is like a visceral experience like Definitely. to watch and see and listen to. So that is Son of Saul, the winner of the Best Academy Award Foreign Picture. I can see why. I, I think it definitely warranted that. I know I haven't seen all the other nominees, but... The technical achievement in putting this film together, absolutely. I can see why it would have won. So. I agree. All right. Well, Chris, that's our two reviews. Why don't we just ease right into some movie news items? Uh, this is where you and I will typically pick out maybe uh, one, two items each or so that we want to kind of pose to the other person. And we have not talked about these news stories before, so we like to kind of sure. throw them at each other. And so far, we haven't had any overlap in our stories in all the episodes we've done. True. Maybe, uh, maybe we will this time. Maybe not. Who knows? Um, you okay if I go first? Absolutely. Well, what you got? I am a tennis fan. I, I love tennis. Outside of college, basketball tennis is my favorite sport to watch. Okay. I'm one of those guys that can actually sit there and watch matches at Wimbledon or U.S. Open or anywhere else for hours on end and thoroughly enjoy it. Do you do the? <gasps> yeah, I do. I do. I, I do it at home, <laughs> and my kids, you know, hate it. But I have to nice. get into the, the, you know, you know. Making sure my head is moving left to right. Do you even. do the polite little clap? I do, absolutely. Nice. And I wear white cool. uh, as I'm watching tennis at awesome. home, just because I do. Excellent. So, but you know, in the in the history of, of film, hasn't been any real good tennis movies. Okay, um, I can't think of. Well, Woody Allen had a film called Wimbledon. Point. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, Match Point. Match point. You're right. There was also a film called Wimbledon at one right. point that was like kind of a romantic comedy. Not comedy but Paul Bettany or no yes I think Paul Bettany was in Wimbledon I never saw it I wanted like a real sports tennis movie okay so I also grew up in the 70s and early 80s so that was kind of my peak time I was a big Beyond Borg fan okay uh Jimmy Connors Beyond Borg kind of that phase of tennis I was really into was McEnroe around okay bingo John McEnroe was also there too there was a documentary I think I may even talked about it months ago on uh, HBO, a documentary about the John McEnroe-Beyond Borg rivalry. Okay. That I thought was really good. 
because the two of them did form a real true rivalry, but they also have kind of a kindred ship hmm. uh, on and off the court as well. It's a really interesting story. Okay. Well, sounds like they're actually going to make a dramatic version of this, which I'm okay with because I don't feel like this is a genre that's gotten much much play. I know the fact that you and I can't think of really any more than two tennis movies. <laughs> I think says have a actually Seven Days in Hell, the Andy Samberg little short movie, like forty minute thing they did on HBO, is probably the closest thing I've seen to a really good like tennis movie, <laughs> and that was absurd and meant more for comedy, obviously. Okay. Um, so, do you have an actor in mind that you think would play a good John McEnroe? Wow. Because they've got someone there. Actually, yes. Okay. Michael Fassbender. Yeah. He would be good. <laughs> but that's not who's. But that's not who they're getting. Um, it's got to be somebody that just has. I'm trying to think of somebody. I'm assuming they're doing him. Yeah. Think of an can actor. really do rage. Really. Christian Bale. No. No. Think of an actor that has he had. Do rage. <laughs> think of an actor that's had a very interesting off-camera life the last few years. Other than Christian Bale. Other than Christian Bale. Is probably excited about playing a very odd, strange character. Shia LaBeouf? Bingo. Wow. So supposedly Shia LaBeouf is in talks to play John McEnroe. Uh, It all comes down to his direction. I can see it. I could see it. Now, unfortunately, the directing is... um, I'm not familiar with the director. Director is Janice Metz who I don't know anything about other than they were the ones that made the documentary about the rivalry. So they're at least invested in the topic. Okay. Now, does that mean they could translate it to a, a dramatic acted version of this? I don't know, but or rain Mr. LaBeouf <laughs> in because he may be, um, Stellan star Skarsgård is also expected to play maybe beyond Borg's oh, coach. I like. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. He may be playing the coach the of coach. beyond Borg, not okay. Borg himself, but, uh, they've got a severe Gundamson as playing beyond Borg. So it sounds like a, you know, huh. someone native to the, to the area, native to the, to the, to the person there. Okay. So, I'm curious, and huh. again, uh, you know, I don't think it's all been completely locked down at this point, but that's where they're going. That's the news out of Cannes this week, is that that's the film that's being worked on. Hmm. I'm excited because I just so, want a good dramatic tennis movie. So being worked on, probably not released until 2017 or 2018? Oh, yeah, at least. It okay. hasn't started lensing yet, so okay. it's, it's still very much in the negotiations discussion right now. But huh. I just thought interesting for the boof to get his name the in, the big, in the mix there. So uh, Yeah. yeah. What have you got for us? So, um, Paul Thomas Anderson has okay. his latest workout. Uh, yes, you didn't hear any big releases on it or no. anything, but he directed the latest music video for Radiohead. Oh. And it's called Daydreaming. And it's from their new album, A Moonshape Pool. If you like either Radiohead mm-hmm. or you like Paul Thomas Anderson, I would suggest you check it out. It's on YouTube. It's on okay. Radiohead's website. It's free. Um if you like Paul Thomas Anderson, check it out. If you like Radiohead, check it out. If you happen to like both of them, then you've probably already checked it out. <laughs> but can't so, so the video is not for the A Witch is Dead, because that's the one song or, that I've been... The, burn the Witch. Burn the Witch. That's the one I've been hearing and got on my playlist right now, and I really like, it's good but that's not the one that they no. made the video for. No. Okay. No, no they, they've made two videos. I'm sorry. The first video they released was Burn the Witch, which okay. you're referring right. to. Also not bad. But Why did the, I call it The, the Witch is Dead? Oh, it's just weird. But the, but the thing about uh, the thing about the second video and the second song they released, Daydreaming and Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. So, you know, obviously huge name <laughs> to direct their video. So, so uh, and I, I 
definitely have to check that really, out. I don't really want to spoil anything about it, okay. but I feel like you can definitely. I feel like you can definitely see Anderson's stamp on the music video. Interesting, and you can tell it was probably really. So expensive. is Paul Thomas Anderson doing? Does he have another film lined up right now? The thing that I know that he did after um, the Master and after what was. Did he do something after the master? He did Inherent Vice. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. After the master, after Inherent Vice, both of which we reviewed here on the show, he did kind of a documentary called um, Junoon. Junoon. Mm-hmm. He did that, and other than that, I don't really know like what he has. Like, I don't see anything else on his filmography, like okay. in production or anything else right now. So, the last feature length he did was Inherent Vice, and okay. everything since then has been documentary. He's done some short video shorts, uh, including the Radiohead music video. So, so he may be in a writing phase. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Oh, well, I'll definitely have to check out the music video now. It's worth it. Um, so Jeff Nichols, director yes. that you and I really like, um, Shotgun Stories, Take Shelter, Mud, mm-hmm. uh, has a movie that's come out this year yes. that has played um, a lot of festivals, gotten a lot of really great acclaim. It's called Loving. Hmm. It's not called Midnight Special. He did do Midnight Special, but he's actually made two movies this year. Right. Did you know about this? Loving is at Cannes right now. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So three months after Midnight Special premiered at another festival, he's got another one that's come out. And I'm really kind of, I'm really, I had not heard anything about this film until honestly last night. And I'm really curious about it now. Um, I, I've heard about it. Go ahead and give the description yeah. for our listeners. Joe Edgerton and Ruth Nega, who Ruth Nega, I, I know from, uh, she's on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, okay. On uh, ABC, which she plays a pretty good part there. And then Joe Edgerton is, uh, he's been a lot of, he he's, was, I think he started in Animal Kingdom. Okay, he was also, he? Joe Edgerton was in Great Gatsby as well. Okay, yeah, that's right, he was. So, yeah. So, this is an interesting, it's, a, it's based on a true story, and it's a, a mixed-race couple marriage back in 1958, Virginia, that was forbidden at the time. And there were a series of life photographs, I believe, that were taken of this couple. And this is the couple that they're portraying and kind of the trials they go through being a mixed race couple back in the late fifties when it was supposedly outlawed and definitely in Virginia at that time and kind of the, the issues they run through. Again, I love, I love the fact that whenever I hear a director I like has made a movie that I knew nothing about and especially one so quickly after another film. So this is definitely now on my radar to want to check out. I'm excited for Jeff Nichols. He's a great director. I feel like this movie is probably going to be really good. I feel like this movie is also probably headed for Oscar acclaim. Mm -hmm. Um, That said, it makes me angry because I was really excited about Midnight Special. And because of like, I feel like I'm not blaming Jeff Nichols. I blame like, you know, studio system and bang for the buck. And they're like, okay, indie kind of low budget sci-fi and then they're like oh no we've got this huge oscar bait movie coming down so they just kind of release it dismiss it captain america civil war snow plows it under and then we have loving coming down the pipeline so i just i'm excited for i I am really excited you know i think it'll probably be really good but i just i hate that something that was kind of it's kind of could be overshadowing one overshadow the other right See, I was worried the other way around. I was worried that this movie was just going to get such a low-level oh. release because they are still got Midnight Special they're getting out there. Either way, I hope the movies don't detract from one another. Sure. All I know is you and I, over the course of this year, are going to get to see two Jeff Nichols new films. That could be That's pretty, pretty cool. That's pretty cool. 
Absolutely. And they do sound fairly different, which is yeah. kind of nice as well. So yeah. I just, yeah, I'm really intrigued. And again, I just heard about it last night. So it's, that's exciting for me. Absolutely. Do you have another news item? I do. Hmm? So Mr. I'm retiring or I've retired Steven Soderbergh. Oh, has yeah. not retired. Um, Did he come out of retirement again? He apparently is. <laughs> he's, he is going to direct a movie called Logan Lucky. Okay. And it's going to be a heist movie, something with Mitch, Mr. Soderbergh is familiar with. He did the Ocean series. Yep. It's going to be a heist movie set during a NASCAR race. Ooh. Interesting. Okay. Starring Adam Driver and Channing Tatum. Okay. So, do you get the impression it's got more of a comedy feel to it, or can you tell it all from what you've read? From the detail, well, okay, I couldn't tell from the details that I read. I was just surprised that a he was making another movie. B it was going to be a NASCAR kind of related movie, which Mm -hmm. was kind of surprised. I don't see him really being that big of a fan of NASCAR. Maybe he is. Um, I like both Adam Driver and Channing Tatum. Big fans of both of theirs. Mm -hmm. Um, The only thing that has me slightly worried. But maybe an indicator that it is steering towards kind of a comedy thing is the fact that there are rumors of Seth MacFarlane joining the cast. Hmm. And I really hope that doesn't happen. Because well, as I've stated on the show, I, I know am you don't get it. not a big fan. But don't you think under Steven Soderbergh's tutelage that maybe he might be actually pretty good? True. He's not directing it. Yeah. He's not writing it. He's, He's just, just acting. an actor. And I think under the right director, he could actually pull off a pretty good performance somewhere. Okay. I, I'm really curious. Now I'm th- starting to think this is probably going to be a little more of a comedy, maybe more of an Ocean's Eleven vibe where not a straight out comedy, but a more light than it is heavy. Um, and, you know, it may just be one of those things where, I mean, I've always thought that NASCAR is one of those those topics that I could see filmmakers wanting to challenge themselves. Mm-hmm. How do I make an interesting movie around NASCAR, a topic that maybe as a filmmaker I've got nothing and to do with? you've got a huge fan base. Absolutely. Because you think about NASCAR movies, there was Days of Thunder and there's Talladega Nights. And that's for the As long part, as you're not it. insulting the NASCAR audience with it, uh, then, yeah, you've got a big audience there with it. So right. I'm curious. I just, you know, I never, I never thought Steven Soderbergh was really retiring. That was crazy talk. <laughs> I hoped not. Yeah. So kind of the, uh, kind of the untapped treasure trove, tennis movies, NASCAR movies. Yeah, maybe. Absolutely. <laughs> now, granted, I think the audience is bigger for the NASCAR movie than it would be the tennis movie, but True. I will go see the tennis movie. I promise <laughs> Right. You make a good dramatic tennis movie, like a real sports movie. I'm totally there. Fair Don't enough. give me a romantic comedy that just happens to be around a tennis court. That doesn't work for me. Give me okay. something that's really a sport. I want the Rudy of tennis. Okay. okay. That's what I want. Okay. Um, Having not seen Rudy, I still think I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm probably going to get lambasted for this. Rudy's not a very well-made movie. Oh, is it not? But it is one of those that you just have to watch when it's on. And okay. it just still gets you right in the right spot every time it's on. So, okay. um, it's yes, it's predictable. Yes, it's cliche at times. It's a real story. And, but it is, is a good movie. Okay. So I like it. But yeah, we need that kind of movie. That kind of just gets you right in the gut. Sports movie of <laughs> tennis. Okay. Come on, people. Fair enough. I know we got a whole filmmaking community listening to us talk right now. You've got your marching orders. Make a really good dramatic movie with NASCAR. Make a really good sports dramatic movie with tennis. See what your box office does for you. (laughs) 
Fair enough. All right, Chris, do you have any other news for us? Uh, that's it for okay, me. Okay, good. Well, then let's move on to the final portion of our show. This is where we do our recommendations. Again, kind of the ground rules are here. We can pick any film that we've either maybe caught back up with recently or just remembered or talked about recently that is something that you should be able to find through some channel online from your home. If you've got an internet connection and access to iTunes, Amazon, HBO, whatever it may be, somewhere you can find these films. So Chris, since you did the last news item, how about I'll go first on the recommendations and you, sure. and you can finish this up here. I'm going to go with a classic that I feel bad even saying as a recommendation because I bet you most of the people that are listening to this have seen this. Okay. But all I'm asking is, is that uh, it's worth going to check out again for several finer points. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because our local community theater uh, just did a stage production of, of this. It is Mel Brooks's Young Frankenstein. Um, I saw the stage performance Friday night. Okay. It was really funny. It was really good. And they did enough, just different enough from the movie to make it even more interesting and mm. have some songs. Of course, it was a musical, so there was a lot of music, which was not in the original one. Sure. Um, but it did cause us to go back and rewatch the film in advance of that because we did have, have a special screening of the film. Sure. This has always been one of my favorite comedies, and I... You know, people would ask me why I like this film so much, and I think I finally kind of figured out the real reasons for it. It found a perfect genre to send up. You know, this is the, this is really sending up the 1930s, 1940s black and white horror films, the based off of the Frankenstein or the Dracula and all right. that. I think this movie does a great job sending up that that genre. First off, secondly, it's Gene Wilder. I mean, that is there are other people in the movie that are funny. Sure. Gene Water, though, I think this is probably his peak where it was just. So people and, may associate his peak with something like Willy Wonka, but you're saying young from an acting standpoint. Gotcha. Willy Wonka may be the more memorable film because it's family and everybody gotcha. likes to watch it every season. Right. Young Frankenstein, though, was probably the height of his just nailing it. I mean, and I think the fact is, I think Mel, I think uh, Gene Water. He was also writing it okay. along with Mel Brooks, the screen okay. story and the screenplay. I, I can tell those humor, those moments of humor in the film that I can guarantee you were probably Gene Wilder's writing versus the more slapsticky kind of over the top Mel Brooks humor. Gotcha. Gene Wilder just was on his game and I could watch every frame of him in this movie. Even him just saying really simple phrases are just so done so, so well. Hmm. So really watch Young Frankenstein and really just pay attention to Gene Wilder in every frame that he's in. He uh, he is a real talent. And it's a shame he's not doing anything more. He kind of gave up Hollywood years ago. And I think just kind of living off on his own as a hermit now. But, uh, man, what a talent. He was, it was one of my favorite comedic performances of all time. Okay. So Young Frankenstein, always worth pulling back out and watching again if you haven't seen it in a while. I've seen it but haven't seen it in a while. So I'm I'm – need to check it out again yes you know? absolutely and you're going to see the stage play soon aren't I you am, yeah. i am so I, I think i'm gonna wait and wait until after the play just so yeah. i can see the play but then revisit the movie just um you're taking the kids it. yes is that a bad no thing? no no it's not a bad thing it's just there are some some moments some humor that's going to be hmm. well i would say a little over their heads but they're older kids now so they're right. probably not going to be over their heads it was not over my 14 year old's head gotcha. as he kept looking at me every time something was in was implied oh. uh my nine-year-old, yeah, he didn't get it. <laughs> but, um, it it was a little more risque than I expected, but it's all in good taste. It's all sure. fun. It's right. all you know, still family friendly. It's okay, good. yeah. 
Cool. All right. So what have you got? What's uh, so, what's your recommendation? I have you've seen this film, and mm-hmm. I haven't had not until very recently. But it's the 2015 release Trumbo. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and Brian Cranston was nominated for his role as Dalton Trumbo, who is a Hollywood screenwriter back in the 40s, 50s. And the big deal was he and other artists got jailed and blacklisted for their political beliefs. And it was the whole communism thing, McCarthy era. So I knew about this film, and I remember it coming out, and then it just kind of came and went away. And then I was reminded of it during Oscar season because of Brian Cranston getting a nomination. He didn't win, and then it just kind of disappeared again. Mm-hmm. So I finally caught up with it, and I feel like it's a good film. Um, it's not perfect, and I can see why maybe it didn't do huge box office because I feel like the tone of the film is kind of odd. Dalton Trumbo apparently was a very original-type character yes he was like to me they kind of made him kind of like a hunter s thompson screenwriter Mm -hmm. um he he marched to his own drummer he would say whatever he wanted he was very fond of talking to birds and having them sit on his shoulder he would work in the bathtub with like a typewriter (laughs) straddling the back they just very unusual so i think sometimes those aspects made it a little bit more comedic when yet there was this very serious tone of people being blacklisted and not able to work and just that whole struggle and going Mm -hmm. to jail sometimes for their beliefs. So I think that that didn't help the film. Um, Mm. But I feel like it's worth checking out. It doesn't give you, and I'd never really, I'd heard about that period in Hollywood history, but I'd never really seen a movie about it. Mm -hmm. Granted, I'd probably be better served by watching a documentary. Yes. However, it did make me more interested in the subject matter sure. and the performances. I mean, I thought Brian Cranston was great. Uh, Helen Mirren's also in it. Michael mm-hmm. Stuhlbarg's in it. John Goodman. All of them, I feel like, are awesome. Michael Stuhlbarg yeah. doing James Cagney or yes. whatever. Very, just very interesting performance. However, I will say the person for me that absolutely stole the show, and he's not in it a lot. Mm-hmm. He's in it kind of towards, I guess, kind of, towards the end is Dean O'Gorman. Okay. And it's a cameo role, but he plays Kirk Douglas. Oh yeah. 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 And he, no, he was really good. Is amazing. <laughs> yeah. He, he was in, Kirk Douglas to throw back, to throw back to the Avengers, not the Avengers, Captain America movie. We just talked about. There's a scene where you basically see young Robert Downey Jr. Yes. He's been and de-aged. He's being de-aged and some of the technology with that. Okay. So, so that, so de-aged Robert Downey Jr. I would have sworn that they kind of did the same thing mm-hmm. with this dude trying yep. to be Kirk Douglas because it was it was distracting. I mean, yeah, he looks like him. And you, you can say somebody just mimics somebody or is just doing a impersonation. No, because it what didn't seem forced. This guy was Kirk Douglas. Yep. It was so, and he was it's during the Spartacus time. Yep. He looks exactly like Kirk Douglas. I mean, it was just no. I'm with you on that. It, it was, was it was mind boggling. The thing so. with this film, Chris, I think you hit it on the head when you said it may be better served as a documentary than than uh, acting. Yeah, you know, the film was fine. It was a it was a decent to me a decent good biography film of that time period. I was more interested in the facts of what was happening and the timeline and the characters involved than I was watching it be acted out. Mm-hmm. I just felt like the film was just way too safe and simple. Now, I will say, I think Brian Cranston was really good. I thought all the acting was good. Okay. Uh, it, for me, I think I even alluded to it when we did that review of 10 Cloverfield Lane that 
uh, John Goodman had been so good in the last few performances. And this was one of the ones this I was is, referencing because I thought he was good. really good right. in that role as well. So, no, it was great. I was fascinated by the whole, of course, you know, the whole Stanley Kubrick, Spartacus, Kirk Douglas kind of kerfuffle that they went through and all mm-hmm. the negotiations. That to me was wildly interesting. Yes. Uh, but again, would it have been better served as a documentary than the film we got? I think so. But I guess, you know, the, the, the Trumbo character is so larger than life. I'm sure trying to convey that in a documentary may not have worked because sure. they probably don't have a lot of video footage or film footage of him right. during that time. So I get you have to direct it. You have to get a Brian Cranston to really play him up and act him out the way he was. So I get it. It's just I, I wish the film had been a little more adventurous with trying some things than just so paint by the numbers. Sure. But um, and the fact that so. You know, I'd never really heard his name until this movie came out. I wasn't really aware of him. And then he's such this big figure, made, you know, wrote tons and tons of screenplays. And then through the course of the movie, you learn, yeah, he kind of ghost wrote some Spartacus and he did some other stuff. And some, and he had to because he was blacklisted. But like Roman Holiday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was, and like he didn't get the Oscar for it. Yeah, he had, he had it. under a fake name. So all, like some of the stuff, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy was that guy, and he was that good, but he wasn't allowed to work. Like it's just kind of it was a fascinating than, stranger story. than fiction. Fascinating story. Sure. Absolutely. It definitely made me want to read more about the whole, the whole series of events in that time period more than anything else. It's just. Again, I just, if I remember correctly, and it's been a while since I've seen it, I seem to remember one of my notes about the film being that I felt like they spent more time telling you what was going on as opposed to actually experiencing it. I can there were a that. lot more dinner table, well, this is what happened earlier today, mm-hmm. and this is what just happened to me in the last couple of months, than actually seeing it. So it's almost like they needed Cranston to play Trumbo, and they wanted that on screen, but yet everything else was just telling you details of what was going on and and that it just wasn't as terribly interesting to me as I thought it could have been. I'll agree. I think the story deserves a better movie. This is the one we have. And I still think it's worth checking out if you're the least bit interested in the time period. And there's a lot of good acting there. I do agree. I think it's worth seeing by all means, especially now that's on video and online. It's it's definitely worth a three, four dollar rental for sure. Good. All right. Well, that is our our show for today. So Captain America Civil War, we both gave a good positive review to. Uh, Son of Saul, we also both gave a positive review to. Uh, Chris saw Civil War twice. We'll only be seeing Son of Saul once. And we'll not be seeing Vision. Hopefully ever again. (laughs) Uh, I will probably be be seeing Civil War again at some point, I'm sure, soon. Son of Saul, yep, it's a one-timer. But both good movies for their own unique, interesting merits. Uh, Then we had some movie news items where we talked about tennis movies. We talked about a NASCAR movie. Um, Just uh, talked about Jeff Nichols with an interesting film. You had another news item. Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson and Radiohead. A lot of good news items. And then, of course, we close out the show with our recommendations, which I had Young Frankenstein and uh, Chris had Trumbo. So that's our show. If you want to find out more about Foot Candle, our film society, or the upcoming film festival we've got coming up in September, that's September 23rd through the 25th of 2016, you can go at any time to footcandle.org. That is our home for film screenings, film discussions, uh, film festival information, all of it right there on that website. If you're really liking this podcast though, and you want to make sure you go back and listen to old episodes, we have them on the footcandle.org website, but you can also go to themesh.tv and see them in a little bit more of a concise, organized way on that network page. 
That is the part of the podcast network that we are uh, a part of. We're part of the Mesh family. And I do encourage you to go back and listen to old episodes as well as check out other shows that you'll find on the Mesh Network. Uh, as we're speaking about tennis and NASCAR and sports, there is a new uh, sports show that we have on our network called One More Thing, and that's more with a M-O-O-R-E. Adam Moore, uh, sportscaster from this area and very, very uh, knowledgeable sports aficionado, telling us all about the world of sports and sports news uh, like several times a week. So it's right. definitely one. If you want like a good 15, 20-minute synopsis of everything happening in sports, that's the show to get right there and subscribe to. Chris, if somebody wanted to reach out to us or connect with us or follow us or whatever, where where could they go about doing that? Uh, best way to, if you want to leave us a note about a show or ask us to review an upcoming movie, drop us a line at info at themesh.tv and just kind of tag it with Foot Candle and it'll get to Alan and I just to communicate on that level. Also, Alan and I are both on letterboxd.com and that's Letterbox without the last E. And that's a site where they just kind of track movies and we kind of keep a running journal of movies that we watch and maybe uh, write really short reviews on there. I'll also add, in addition to what Alan was talking about, with the Foot Candle site that's the um, Film Society site, we also have footcandlefilmfestival.com, which just focuses on the upcoming upcoming film festival that we're having in September. It'll be September 23rd through the 25th. So if you just want to learn about the film festival, go to that site. So that's kind of uh, how you can keep up with us. Yeah, so several places, and we're all over the place online, so definitely... Let us know your thoughts. Give us some feedback. Let us know if you're interested in what we're doing. We'd love to talk to you. But otherwise, we're going to go ahead and wrap up the show for today. So we'll be back within the next couple weeks with another show of reviews and discussions about some movie news. Uh, We'll look forward to talking to you then. Thanks a lot. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.